Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Dr. Matt McCarthy with us, of course. We're talking about his latest work, Superbugs. Matt, you were talking about how some pharmaceutical companies are a little hesitant in trying to develop uh, further any antibiotics. If that's the case, what happens? Do these superbugs run rampant? Well, this is the most important medical issue that no one is talking about. We have relied on the pharmaceutical industry for the past 75 years to make antibiotics, and they have recently decided collectively that they're not making enough money off of these drugs and are choosing to do other things. And I'll tell you why. Imagine a blood pressure drug. A doctor prescribes it to a patient and says, take it every day for the rest of your life. That's a good business model. Think about an antibiotic. They're only prescribed in short courses. Doctors are stingy about doling them out. And even the best new drug eventually wears itself out when the bacteria mutate. So it's a really thin profit margin for a pharmaceutical company. And increasingly, they're saying, you know what? The money's just not there. It's too risky. It takes about a billion dollars and 10 years of studies to bring any new discovery uh, from the laboratory to patients. We're not going to do it. And one of the most important political issues that no one's talking about are there a number of proposals on the table to entice these pharmaceutical companies to start making antibiotics again. And that's what I wanted to get readers to understand is that you're going to be hearing politicians come forward with proposals to sweeten the deal for pharmaceutical companies. Yep. And I want people to know what's a good idea and what's a bad idea. In your career, what has been one of the worst infections you've had to deal with? Because you're an infectious disease specialist. Yes, yes. Well, the one that they tell you to never Google, and so I'll just <laughs> give you that warning, is something called Fournier's gangrene. F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R, Fournier's gangrene which is um, a flesh-eating infection of the scrotum oh, or of the, uh, the groin area. I typically see that. No, don't Google patient. that. <laughs> yeah, don't trust me. <laughs> but it's um, you know, a patient who has poorly controlled diabetes, which can weaken your immune system. Somebody may try to pop a zit or pop a pimple um, in, the, in their groin area, and it allows the bacteria to get under the skin and it rapidly spreads, and it can be something that can only be cured, not with antibiotics, but with actually with surgery. Oh, my God. It's one of the most distressing things you can see as a clinician and as a patient. It's, it's just it's shocking. Um, ne- neosporin and so, won't work, huh? No, no, and that's why it's so important for us to have new, you know, new treatment options available because I spend my days, I wake up, I walk in the hospital, and the first thing I do is I see patients who are suffering from infections. So this is what I spend my time thinking about. How are we going to do a better job with these patients? Well, we take calls next hour with Matt McCarthy. Uh, one, we'll take your questions, obviously. But if you have had some kind of infection, jump aboard and let's talk about it. Don't be shy either. We'll uh, get some thoughts on that. Do they experiment on people with these new formulas? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, what I uh, spend my time doing as a researcher is I do human experimentation. That I will take a drug that uh, was discovered in a laboratory somewhere or found in the, in the soil somewhere, and I will bring it into my hospital and I'll study it. And what I've really enjoyed writing about in my books is what it's like to try to do an experiment on a human being. And we have a number of safeguards in place uh, 
to make sure that patients are protected and that a guy like me can't walk into the hospital with a dangerous drug. Uh, we have something called an Institutional Review Board, an IRB, that reviews any proposal for a study. Um, before anyone can do an experiment on you, it has to be approved by an IRB. And then if a doctor walks up to you and says, hey, I've got this new clinical trial, you might be a, a candidate for it, you don't have to join that. You can just say, no, thank you, and many patients do. But some are interested or intrigued. And, you know, when, when it comes to clinical research, we're eager to get more volunteers. And people get paid a little bit for their participation, and that's a big part of how we bring drugs to market is we have to test them on humans to make sure they're safe. And I assume these people sign off on that in case something goes awry? Yes, there is a lot of paperwork to be done for this. Um, but this is the essence of how the FDA approves drugs is we test them on um, in a test tube, and then we test them on animals, and then we test them on healthy human volunteers. And then lastly, we test them on patients who have the infection that we're studying. And if all of that goes well, it can be approved, but the drug can be approved by the FDA. But that takes, as I said, close to a billion dollars to Jeez. get done. And, and companies don't want to risk it. They want to, you know, do a, a Botox or a blood pressure medication where they can make more money. I've always been a believer in natural things if you can do it first. And I, you know, think that this planet has an incredible ability to create its own, uh, you know, antidotes for things uh, on the planet. Uh, and, I mean, things like apple cider vinegar, they're good for infections and things like that. What do you think of just going natural? Yeah, well... This is one of the coolest parts of doing the kind of work that I do is we are always looking for new cures for infections. And a place that we're finding them is actually in the soil beneath our feet. Yep. And it turns out that bacteria in the soil are engaged in this molecular warfare where they are all producing these chemicals that they shoot out into the environment trying to kill all of the bacteria that are around them. And if we can harness those chemicals... Bacteria trying them, to kill other bacteria? That, that's exactly right. They're fighting each other, and the way they do it is they secrete chemicals. And if we can find those chemicals, we can turn them into medicines. And that's actually what a lot of scientists are trying to do now. They're sifting through the haystack of soil looking for new drugs that we can use to cure infections. And part of the, the next 25 years of science is going to be figuring out how to use artificial intelligence and big data so that people don't have to sift through the soil and we can just go into the haystack and pull out that medication. Um, and that, that's going to be the big challenge of medicine moving forward. Are they successful in finding some of these uh, possible abilities? Y yeah, and you know, that's where our first antibiotic, penicillin, where that came from is there was a fungus that was just pumping out penicillin trying to kill the bacteria in its environment. And we've got scientists now who are very good at finding these new chemicals. The problem is when they find it, they need a pharmaceutical partner to help bring that to market. And they're having trouble finding companies that are willing to spend the money to do the clinical trials on animals and in humans to bring that incredible discovery to the patients who need it most. You had uh, written a piece called, Why Does the Flu Vaccine Suck This Year? <laughs> <laughs> yes. To put it bluntly, uh, I have well, uh, not gotten a flu vaccine in God, I don't know how long. I can't remember. Uh, and I haven't gotten the flu, knock on wood. Uh, what do you think of the vaccines? 
Well, well, this is a, one of those conversations where every every time I talk about vaccines with somebody, it's a little bit different. Um, when a patient says to me, Dr. McCarthy, what do you think of vaccines? I typically say to them, what do you think of vaccines? Um, that and, and that opens a dialogue with people. But the, the piece that I wrote was about how every year for the flu vaccine, we have to guess. What's the which of the different um, serotypes we're going to put in our vaccine? And sometimes we guess wrong. And that year, I wrote about how we guessed wrong, and we made a pretty weak influenza vaccine. Um, it still worked, but not as well as we would like. Um, I uh, am somebody who subscribes to the belief that antibiotic uh, that, that vaccines work. And the problem I'm seeing where I practice in New York is we have this measles outbreak where we have nearly a 1,000 cases um, of measles, and it's because people aren't getting vaccinated. And what I've found is that there are two groups of people um, who aren't vaccinating. There are the anti-vaxxers, which are a well-described group. But there's also a group of people who say, I believe the vaccine works. I just don't want to give it to my kid. And that's a group that hasn't been talked about very much. They say, we believe it's safe. We believe it works. Just not for my kid. And we haven't figured out a way to um, convey to these patients and these parents that it's a potentially dangerous thing to expose your kid to measles. And let me ask you this too, Matt, because the parents who are pro-vaccine, and everybody's entitled to their own views, but the parents that are pro-vaccine go ballistic if their child is around a kid who hasn't been vaccinated. My question is, medically, if your kid has been vaccinated, why do you care who he's with? Because he should be immune, right? Yes. If your kid has been vaccinated, then your kid's immune. The, there's a concept called herd immunity, which is that if everyone's vaccinated, the disease goes away. And we've lost this herd immunity. And so I think people get really worked up about this. The other group that I see getting really worked up are people who have babies who are less than 12 months old. So they haven't been able to vaccinate their baby yet because it's so young. And they, they get militant about it. There's no other way to describe it. Um, you know, the work that I do is largely with antibiotics and not with vaccines. So I'm usually coming in trying to figure out how do I treat the infection after it's already occurred. And the vaccines are much more effective for preventing the infection. Um, but, but, you know, this is a contentious topic. And you're right. I've, I've written about how sometimes the vaccines that we try to design aren't as good as we would like them to be. You're on the New York Presbyterian Hospital Ethics Committee. What do you folks look at? Oh, this is one of the most fascinating jobs you could possibly have, which is that when doctors find that they're doing something that they don't feel comfortable with or a patient thinks something is happening that doesn't seem right, they can ask an ethicist like me to come in and to produce a judgment of what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about that is that it's not always what's legal. So there, you know, there are times where I'll say, well, legally you're allowed to do this. I say, they would say to me, I'm not asking you for a legal uh, opinion. I'm asking you for an ethical opinion. And I'll give you an example. Of and let me ask you, all due respect here, I mean, I mean yeah. nothing derogatory, yeah. but are you yeah. playing God when you do this? Well, I'll give you an example, and I'll let you decide. All right. um, a 12-year-old boy has liver cancer and he needs to have his tumor removed. And the parents say, we don't want the tumor removed. We want to pray the tumor away. Mm -hmm. 
what 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 should happen? And the surgeon says, I can cure this, but I need to operate on this child. And the family says, no. Uh, they turn to an ethicist and say, what do we do here? And what you have to take into account are all kinds of, of um, you know, value judgments and legal precedents and, and trying to figure out what's a solution that's in the best interest of the child, but also, you know, respects the religious views of the family, sure. make sure that the surgeon is doing what's right. And sometimes, yeah, you feel like you're playing God. Um, it's a really important and powerful position to be in. See, the position I would have taken, I would have prayed yeah. that the operation went well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You're exactly right. We we got a seat for you on the ethics committee. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think a blend of of mainstream medicine and prayer and uh, pharmacy and, and uh, you know natural supplements, a combination of them, probably is the best way to do something. I think you're probably right. And I'll tell you, I pray with patients. Um, I talk to them about supplements. I talk to them about mainstream medicine. Clearly not, you know, we don't have all the answers, and I think that it's good to have a blend of approaches. This statistic I had before you came on, Matt, 23,000 people die each year from antibiotic-resistant infections. Is that number going to go up or down? That number is going to skyrocket. In fact, the, the prediction from the World Health Organization is that by 2050, it's going to be 10 million people worldwide every year dying from superbugs. Worldwide. and uh, Yes, worldwide. And it's going to be a bigger issue than heart disease or cancer. And this is why I felt such urgency uh, writing about superbugs is because people don't really talk about it that much. They, they think about it or they'll get an article forwarded to them. But this is really important because at the time when we need new antibiotics, the companies that make them are getting out of the business. The pharmaceutical industry has decided that this market is broken. And one of the proposals that's on the table that you're going to be hearing about from politicians is something called a push incentive, where we can give tax breaks to the pharmaceutical industry if they promise to invest some of the excess profits into new antibiotics. Some uh, people think that's a great, great idea. Some don't. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.